Hey everyone, welcome to my house. After we filmed the service yesterday, I went and got a haircut. So for those of you who are watching, enjoy seeing my hair go from long to short to long again. Uh, and for those of you who are just listening and maybe couldn't see the subtitles on that second reading, um, Stacy read one of the last parables that Jesus tells before he dies. So it takes place on Palm Sunday. And it's about a man who had two sons. Um, the father tells them both to go to work in the vineyard. One of them says he'll go, but then doesn't. The other one says he won't go, but then does. Um, and so Jesus says, which one did the will of their father? And everyone agrees that it was the second son, the one who actually follows through and goes. Um, so that was the second reading. And thanks to Pete Micklejohn and Stacy for doing our readings. It's really fun to see uh, your face up there, Stacy. Stacy was... Uh, she was my hiking buddy this year when we were in Rutilio Grande. We were walking down the big hill. Um, it was her and my dad and me. And by the way, the recording that she did, if you noticed, she does it standing next to the almost life-size mural of Pastor John um, that's in Rutilio Grande's community hall. So very fun location that she chose. And and she's just a really fun person. Um, and was great to talk with her as we hiked. Her dad passed away two years ago and she was just so open about how hard that had been for her and how how close she's gotten to her grandmother um, since he died um, so just just a really cool young person and uh, she's actually god willing going to be graduating high school in november and if we can get enough funds in this pledge-a-thon this weekend hoping to start college uh, next, I think January is when they start. She wants to do computer engineering, so uh, that would be that would be such a cool thing if we can make that happen to her for her. And thanks, thanks for all of you who are jumping in to sponsor students. It's really cool. Um, so our first reading today it's the one I'm thinking of the most for this sermon, um, and it at its core to me it's about generosity and and sharing gifts. Um, and it's God's generosity towards us, right? But also our role in in facilitating that and passing that around. Um, and it's that reading is just what happened to be assigned today, but it's a really good one um, for where we're today and thinking about that scholarship program. Um, because so much, so much of what I know about generosity, I've learned in El Salvador. Um, our church has been going there for 20 years which is amazing. I've been going for 10, also amazing. And, and it's kind of shifted the way I think about generosity because I really used to think of generosity as like how much of your stuff and your money are you willing to give away? Um, and watching them in El Salvador, I, I now kind of think generosity is more about like taking care of each other and the time and energy and attention and resources we put um, just into caring for someone other than ourself. And that is the heart of the gospel, that kind of sacrificial love. And it's something that, like all of you who are watching, you do this. You do this a lot and, and you see it everywhere, uh, which is cool. But we see it so clearly in El Salvador. They're really good at taking care of each other and they're really good at taking care of us when we come. Um, that has always been true uh, and very noticeable from my first trip, but their kind of amazing gift for caring for others really hit me most when I started to go to El Salvador with my kids. Um, I brought both of them when they were babies. 
Um, and then this past summer, they came with me as, you know, as actual kids, three and almost six. And for any of you who are parents, you know how when you see someone, especially someone outside your family, when you see someone be so good to your kid, you know how much that means to you, right? When you see someone else bless your kid, love your kid, see your kid, celebrate your kid. Um, so the very first time I went with a kid was when Alice was just four months old. So I was a new mom. I was a mess. I knew it was a little crazy and maybe a little stupid to bring her, but I did. And she was baptized at our sister church, Cordero, Sunday morning. And since her godparents, you know, weren't there, Pastor Raphael told the congregation, okay, you all are Alice's God family. Um, and on Wednesday of that trip, the people from Cordero came to the clinic we're helping with, and up comes Paula, who um, I had known, I think, probably for five years at that point, since she was little, but now she's 12, and she comes up to me and she says she wants to give my daughter a gift. Uh, and out of her book bag, she pulls this book, and I think I have it somewhere. Let me see. Here it is. Hopefully, Caitlin edited out my wandering around. But this is the book uh, that 12-year-old Paula gave baby Alice. And it's this little chapter book called Aristotle the Naughty Cat. And it is so well-loved that it has literally fallen apart and been stapled back together again. And Paola tells me that she named her cat Aristotle after the cat in this book. And she wants my baby to have this book to start her library. And so I open up the book and I see on the inside cover, Paula had written, Mi Primer Libro, Helen Paula, my first book. And then she added an inscription for Alice from Paula with much love. And, and you just know that Paula has just given her first book and, and quite possibly her only book uh, to my daughter. And the other time that comes to mind is, well, it's more embarrassing than sweet, but this was the next time we take Alice. So she's 10 months old at this point. She hasn't had all her shots and our pediatrician had said, well, it's probably okay, but the, the only one to worry about would be, I don't know which one it was, tuberculosis or whichever one's passed um, through water. And this is back when we're still first time parents and super cautious. So we decide, okay, no pools for Alice uh, on this trip. But then one day on that trip, we went to a water park with Rutilio Grande. And when they heard that we weren't going to bring Alice in any of the pools because we were worried about water cleanliness, here's what they did. They loaded a little plastic kiddie pool onto the back of a truck. They drove that pool to the water park and they filled it with purified drinking water to make baby Alice her own private pool. At the water park. The miracle of clean water. And make no mistake, clean water is a miracle. Um, that's the first reading, clean water in the desert. Um, we might not think of it where we live here, but clean water truly is a miracle. 785 million people lack access to water, and that they define that as 
potable water, drinkable, clean water that is under a 30 minute walk from your house and available at least 12 hours a day. Um, that's how they define water access. And as climate change continues to affect water sources, that number is predicted to rise by a billion people by 2050. Um, so this is gonna get worse before it gets better. Often school is the location where kids have the most consistent access to water. And most often it's women and children who are the ones who are stuck expending all this time and energy to fetch water for their families from faraway places. And all of the first hearers of this story in Exodus would be very in touch with just how crucial water sources are and, and what a big deal it was that God through Moses could provide a water source in their presence. Now, in a church like ours at Unity, you'll often hear us speak out against biblical literalism. Have you heard us say that? Like we always say, we take the Bible seriously, but we don't take it literally. We don't pull out random verses and say they're prescriptives to be followed by everybody everywhere. We take the Bible literatively. We take it as literature, as poems and songs and stories and letters and law books written by real people in real times and real places for all different kinds of very real reasons. And, and we say that the humanness of it like that's, that, that's what makes it divine. And that's how it helps us understand ourselves and our God. And then we ask God to help us figure out how to be faithful to this tradition that we have inherited in our own time and place. So we don't take the Bible literally. It doesn't, it doesn't even work to take the Bible literally. How do you take poetry literally? Or, or allegory, or folktales, or how do you take literally a commandment to stone to death someone who works on the Sabbath day? You don't. You don't. We take it seriously, but not literally. It is possible, however, um, and our parts of the church are guilty of this all the time, including us, I'm sure, um, it's possible to take the Bible too metaphorically, to not take it literally enough. And this reading in Exodus would be one really easy way to do that. Um, because you can think of this passage metaphorically, like when we experience desert times, times when we're uprooted or lost or feel like we're drifting, God provides for us in those times, provides something that quenches our spiritual thirst and restores us and renews us and strengthens our hearts and minds so we can keep going um, until we reach um, that promised land. That's true. That happens. I've experienced that. God blesses us and strengthens us when we think we can't go on. Um, and that is taking the passage metaphorically. Um, and it's not wrong, uh, but this is also a great passage to take literally, right? This passage tells us God is a God who cares for people's physical needs. Water, food, shelter, a home. God's on a mission to meet those needs, but God doesn't just make water appear magically, right? God needs Moses, however grudgingly, to hear the people's cries, decide to do something about it, receive direction, and then strike that rock. God uses people to make the miracle. We talk a lot in our church about love, how God loves us and we are called to love others and it is all true we mean it to the depth of our being 
Um, but in our culture, we often, most often think of love as an emotion, a thought, a feeling. And in the Bible, love is primarily an action. And love, like generosity, is taking care of people's needs. And that's why Jesus tells that parable, right? Um, that second reading. It's action God wants from us, not emotion or thought. Um, it's labor on other people's behalf. So this is why we have partners at our church, right? Like organizations that are actively meeting the physical needs of people around us that we can jump in and support what they're doing and work alongside them and learn from them. So we have like Kef at the Lutheran Church who's inviting us into their years-long push for lead-free water in the name of Jesus. They say, when I was thirsty, you gave me lead-poisoned water? That doesn't sound like the gospel. Let's do better. Um, this is our baptized call. We're going to baptize people with clean, lead-free water, and we're going to call them to a life of health and wellness. And we have Rutilio Grande in El Salvador who worked for years with the Spanish government to install a pump that could bring water from a well three kilometers away up a height differential of I don't know how many hundreds of feet so that their community could finally have running water to their homes. A system, by the way, that is in serious danger of drying up as the average temperatures there and everywhere keep going up and up and the water flow is becoming less consistent. But these partners and so many others, they're out there, right? They're out there doing the work and striking the rock. And it is honestly such a privilege that we get to join them in it. We're like, we're not complete as a faith community without them, right? Um, and with their help, our faith life at Unity becomes more than just metaphorical care of hearts and minds, as important as that is, but also physical care for the literal needs of others. This past February, um, it was Unity's, I think, 18th clinic trip to El Salvador, um, putting on a little traveling health fair and doctors, nurses, nutritionists, educators, pastors from both sides of the border. And every day, the team from Unity joins a group of local ministers and health providers, community leaders who make the clinic happen at that site for that day. Well... Guess who showed up to help at the clinic this past year, wearing scrubs and everything? Paola, Paola from the book. She is 18 now, 19, um, and she started a program, a nursing program, together with friends from the scholarship program that Unity does, and then showed up to be a nurse at the clinic. Here at Unity and in all the communities to which we are connected, there are people with needs, right? And here, as in all the communities we're connected to, there are people carrying um, out just the work that it takes um, to meet other people's needs with such great generosity. And, and often it's the same people, right? Um, and may that be true for all of us. May we all be both needy and needed. May we give and receive with great generosity. May we love with action and deed um, so that God has so many chances to see people being good to God's kids. Amen.